0: This is VLX number 55, A Girl Restored to Life and a Woman Healed. We are in Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. God give you his peace. In nomine pati et spiritu santi. Amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine pati et spiritu santi. Amen. While Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, so today is obviously a double header of Jesus' miracles. There is so much light, so much truth, so much grace pouring out of him that he quite nearly, accidentally works a miracle on his way to work another miracle. We are going to look at this sentence by sentence, but let's get the bird's eye view on a few things first. Now, we're going to get to more exciting parts, but the church fathers saw analogies to the church as important. So before we get to the really exciting part, walk with me through a couple of these bird's eye view of connections between today's miracles and the Jewish people and the Gentiles. Now, Father Lapidae says this on page 451, Christ is recorded to have raised three persons only to life. The first was this maid of 12 years old, whom he raised immediately upon her decease. He's talking about today in Matthew chapter 9. The second was the young man, the widow's son, whom he raised in Naim. As he was being carried out to the tomb, that's Luke chapter 7, verse 11. And the third was Lazarus, whom he called out of the sepulchre, for he had lain there four days, John 11. Now, even though this isn't saying that these three sinned, It is interesting that the church fathers connect this to what it's like to come out of different levels of sin. Father Lapide says, Robinus and others think that symbolically the raising of the girl, it's talking about today, the raising of the girl represents the repentance of one who has sinned in thought only by the morose delectation of the mind. The young man, he's talking about Luke chapter 7, the one who's in that funeral beer, the young man represents the repentance of those who have carried out their thoughts in sinful deeds, Lazarus represents the repentance of those who have contracted a habit and practice of sin. Christ here teaches that secret and light sins are blotted out by secret repentance, and therefore the girl was raised in the house, as though secretly in the presence of a few. But public sins need a public remedy. Therefore he called the young man and Lazarus to life publicly before multitudes. Not saying that Lazarus sin is just saying this is analogous to us approaching the confessional and mortal sin and what it takes to be raised. Back when Father Lapide wrote this in the 16th century, 17th century, there was an understanding that certain public sins had to be made up for by public penance. The the other thing here he says is that Saints Hilary, Ambrose, and Jerome say that these things, he's talking about the miracle of the two, the old woman and the young girl that we just heard about today, these are an allegory of the church. The woman who is cured of an issue of blood, verse 22, signifies the people of the Gentiles. She received health and the salvation of her soul before the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue, that is, before the Jews. So what that's saying right there is the older woman is very much like the Gentiles. You may not remember this, but if I were to say to you, who came to Christ first, the Jews or the Gentiles? Many people would want to say Jews because he's born of Jewish stock, born of Jewish blood. But actually, the answer is that the Gentiles came to Jesus first. And then we know at the end of time, the Jews will return to Jesus Christ. So what the church fathers saw this as is the older woman was actually a symbol of the Gentiles who first came to Christ. And then the young girl, because as we're about to see, she was actually the daughter of a temple official, represents the Jews. Now, this is interesting. How do we know this was a temple official? Well, we did hear the word ruler in today's gospel, but Father Lapidus is very clear that this is the same situation that we have in Mark chapter 5. Father Lapidus says in Mark five twenty-two, 22, Jairus, or in the Hebrew, Jair, means that which shall be resplendent or shall give light. Now, we notice a couple differences. Again, this is maybe a little bit of a boring part, but this is important because you're going to meet people who try to compare these different passages. Matthew chapter 9 and Luke 5, and they're going to say, well, there's these differences in there. How can you possibly say the Bible is inerrant? Father Lapidae and the church fathers, they've already thought through this stuff. So listen to this. My daughter, 12 years old, as Luke says, is even now dead, but come. Matthew, for brevity's sake, relates in substance what was done, rather than the exact historical sequence. For as is plain from Mark and Luke, the child was not yet dead when her father first came to Christ and said, Come, lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. As Christ and Jairus were walking together, someone ran and told Jairus that his daughter was dead and that the case being now hopeless, he should leave Christ alone. Then Christ, as it would seem, strengthens the man as he wavers in his faith and inspires in him a firm faith and the hope of a cure for his daughter. Jairus, his hope restored, leads Christ to his house and then either implicitly or else expressly in words asks him to raise his daughter from death as Matthew here relates. So this idea that the differences are either unimportant or that this disproves the inerrancy of Scripture, people for thousands of years before you and me have thought of this, and it lines up. It's just like two different people looking at the same story. Neither of them is lying. Both of them are totally inspired by God, but they're certainly permitted to relay different details. Now let's look at a couple of these words. Archon in Greek there is ruler. And as we heard him named in uh, Mark's Gospel there, Mark 5, his name is Jairus. Today, in Matthew's Gospel, we have that word prosikune. We've talked about that word before. That means to fall down and worship. That's pretty amazing right now that this man was a synagogue or temple official and was not afraid in front of everybody to bow down and worship Christ. Father Lapide points out that although this is great faith, this isn't quite as great a faith as the centurion had. Why? The centurion said that Jesus only has to will it from afar, And his worker, his boy, as he said, will be healed. Where today, Jairus wants Jesus under the roof, under his home, for this healing to take place. But still great faith. Okay, so let's look sentence by sentence now. While Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Now, the church fathers point out this extraordinary humility. Think about that. You have a temple official serving Yahweh, the God of the universe, and then it's Yahweh himself who gets up at the beck and call of a temple official to go help his daughter. Now, he's on his way, right? Jesus is walking, and then St. Matthew tells us, "...and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment." The Greek word there for discharge of blood is Hymerusa, where we get the English word hemorrhage. Heimerousa, hemorrhage. By the way, I think most of you know this, but Jesus' spoken language of Aramaic was closer to the language that was written in the Old Testament, namely Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. What Jesus spoke was Aramaic, which was closer to Hebrew, but all of the New Testament was written in Greek, inspired by the Holy Ghost, so we're going to be looking at the Greek. Now, how about those words, fringe of his garment? This old woman touches the fringe of his garment. You might remember seeing at Eucharistic processions that you'll often see people touch the humeral veil surrounding the monstrance, surrounding the Eucharist. Why did they do that? To be healed, because the Eucharist is literally the Son of God and then the veil surrounding him is enough to touch and be healed. So many people believe and many people have been healed doing this. Okay, now this verse, Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Now, if you're in the study method of prayer, this might be worth meditating on just how encouraging our Lord's words are. And the word take courage in Greek is just one word, tharse. And then he calls her daughter. Does that mean daughter of Israel or his own daughter? And how beautiful for an older woman to be called daughter. We forget the human side of all of this, how Jesus was so sensitive to human needs. You know, old women may have been called old women back then, um, but Jesus calls her daughter. Now, one neat thing here is that there's a little alliteration in the Greek there that the imperative of courage, take courage, and the calling of her daughter, they both start with the same letter, theta. So, it's just two words together, tharsei thugater, tharsei thugater, tharsei, take courage, thugater is daughter. Take courage, daughter. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to look at you, especially if you're an older woman, and say, courage, daughter, Uh, especially in these tough times. And it says, and instantly the woman was made well. Now, next, Jesus comes to the ruler's house, and he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. Trumpets were played at Jewish funerals for men, flutes for children. Why did they do this? Well, it was to elicit tears and peace, kind of like the melancholic elevator music they play in funeral parlors today. Not kidding, the same notion here. Now, verse 24 is a big verse to look at today, especially if you're doing the study way of prayer. Jesus says, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Now, we're going to look at those two words, sleeping and dead. There's no tricky things on translations. We don't even have to look at the Greek because it's perfectly translated. But I have always wondered, why did Jesus say she was sleeping? Was he asserting that she was truly sleeping and not dead? Let's see what the church fathers say. I was always wondering this, and I didn't know until I read this this week. This is very beautiful. The girl was really dead, as is plain from verse 18. Christ, however, denied this and said that she was asleep. It gives us two reasons. One, because as St. Jerome says to God and himself, to whom all things live, she was not dead, and because she was to be raised again at the Judgment Day. Then Father Lapiday quotes 1 Thessalonians 4.12, He has fallen asleep in the Lord. It's speaking of someone in the New Testament community. Moreover, the soul of this deceased girl, like the souls of others whom Christ and his saints have raised from the dead, was not yet judged or condemned to hell or purgatory, but God's judgment was suspended because it was his will to bring her back to life. So basically what it's saying is she was truly dead, but God is so powerful that dead to him is just sleep. She was truly in cardiac arrest, but because Christ is the master and the God of everything, It's just as easy for him to wake a sleeping person as a dead person. But she was truly in cardiac arrest. You have to hear that. St. John Chrysostom adds, Christ shows by this expression that it was as easy to him to raise the dead as to awaken men out of sleep. And therefore we should not fear death, for when he comes nigh, it is no longer death but sleep. So the thing to remember is that even though she's in cardiac arrest, Jesus is saying that to him and his power, she's only asleep. But I think the main verse I would suggest to both the way of study and the imaginative way of prayer is the end of today's section. Listen again. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Now, Mark is clear in Mark 5, if you look back there, you can compare these two sections today. Mark is clear that everyone left except Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were allowed to stay with Jesus for this miracle of the dead girl being raised. So let's look at those five words, took her by the hand. The word for take in Greek is ekratisen. Now, lapide defines that as caught it, held it forcefully, took possession of it. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus was squeezing her knuckles together or anything, but that same verb is used in Apocalypse 3. Listen to this quote. "...because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God." Now, specifically, verse 11 says, "...I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown." So we're going to look at that word, hold fast. That's the exact same verb as we heard there. So think of Jesus commanding you in Apocalypse, hold fast to what you have. It's compared to that word seize. You don't want anyone to seize that. So you're in a certain sense seizing it yourself. You're grabbing something so tight that no one can take it from your hands. That's the same verb used in Matthew 9, 25, took her by the hand. Now, again, it's not saying Jesus was cracking a dead girl's knuckles. Some six-year-old's hand is not getting squeezed so tight that it's going to hurt when she comes back to life. But how beautiful to think of such a tight grip that he wouldn't let her go. As I said, the Greek implies, no one can take it from your hands. How Christ holds her hands is astonishing as he brings her back to life. Now, for the imaginative way of prayer, this might sound a little bit dramatic, might even be a little bit tough, but it worked pretty well for me. I want you to picture a six or seven-year-old girl that you really know in real life Maybe it's your daughter. Maybe you could picture back to 20 years ago with your sister when she was six or seven. Maybe it's a niece. Picture a real six or seven-year-old girl that you know. And I want you to picture her dead on your couch or the couch of a friend or couch of a family member. And now she's not just lying on the couch with nothing there. Probably people would roll up some sheets and some blankets, put a pillow there. You know, my mom was born and raised before Vatican II and kids got used to seeing dead bodies. She told me that growing up Irish on the south side of Chicago, every time there was a vigil, it wasn't in a funeral par- parlor. It was in somebody's house and there would be candles all around and there'd be people there hanging out all night. It was Irish, so they're probably drinking all night. But they would get used to, even from the age of being very, very small, they were in people's homes and they saw dead people all the time. And it, and my mom said it didn't scare her, you know. Um, so... Picture this. This was quite common for a dead person to be in their home. But picture it's somebody you know. Picture this little girl in a real place that you know, a real girl. I know that's going to be kind of hard, picturing her as dead. Um, But you're there with Peter, James, and John. And imagine our Lord coming and taking her hand and bringing her back to life. This was really as real for that family. I know this might sound like it's just being emotional, but... Again, the way of Teresa of Avila and the way of St. Ignatius of Loyola is to truly place yourself in this situation. Jesus really rose a dead girl from the dead. Jesus really raised a dead girl from the dead. And so you picture this as he comes up to her, holds her hand. Maybe he kneels down to be at her level. But really picture how they would have kind of laid her body out quite nicely. Who'd be in there? All the people who were there for the funeral are kicked out because they're mocking the situation. And in this intimacy of just a few people, Jesus takes this daughter's hands, his daughter's hands, since he's her creator, and raises her back to life. Please say, An hour, Father, for me, et benedictio deum de potentis, patus suffili, spiritu santi, descendit super vos et, et semper, amen.